Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Otto Faber. And we are 35-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with a couple of candid views on stocks each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news. But our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air. So we've disguised our voices. And they'll never know. Well, that uh, was, what was that? interesting. Wow. <laughs> this week, was the we've got here. a handful of good ideas couple coming out of a screen I ran. I ran on uh, high-quality, big-cap names with a dividend yield for you people that can't get any bond yield. And then Otto probably has a few ideas. I had to, yeah, yeah some absolutely. Somewhere. Uh, but before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, we are professional Wall Street uh, investment professionals am i double talking here during the week we do a lot of careful analysis talk to management teams uh examine financial statements we've been very careful to do none of that here on the show third we do not have your best interests in mind just assume that uh, anything we're talking about helps us and not you and also i may own uh, these stocks i just want to say that and then finally or may not or may not, and you may own them or may not. And then finally, uh, and this is Val speaking, I've been drinking tonight. And um, and so that may impair my judgment, right. Otto, you know. Um, That's a hell of a disclaimer yeah, by your, for your, you. your attorney. And so, well, we wrote a lot of stuff down. There's stuff I'd like yeah. to say but can't right. also. Mm. Um, but in any case, see all of our disclosures, disclaimers, notes from our moms uh, at www.thevalueguys.com where we have all that. So it's August 27th, uh, wow. 2017. We're here with Otto Favor and Val Hughes, and uh, you're going to get, I don't know, five good ideas this week. But before we get to that, Otto, I think you have some Wall Street um Commentary. The week Some of Wall Street. Week, huh? the, the week last of Wall week, Street. Yeah. or next week. Yeah. Week. More like, uh, how was it, La- last week today. Um, so uh, we're uh, in the uh, final throes of summer, right, coming through. We got uh, Labor Day coming up. Are you doing anything for Labor Day? Are you going to hang around? Um, I don't know. I just yeah. I get an email of where I'm supposed to show up. Hmm. Than I do. Um, well, uh, this past week, as you, as you know, there was a lot of um, different cross currents in the market again. A lot of uh, impact from D.C. once again. Concerns yeah. now over who's in and who's out on Capitol Hill. Uh, wondering if Munchkin was uh, going to be uh, sticking around. So that got everybody in a tidy whities um, So we're seeing a lot of turn on who is and what is the administration going to look like. The uh, now consideration of the uh, funding for the um, um, for the uh, um, the wall the the, the no or the uh, debt ceiling, that, that ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> but he's saying you got to pay for the wall. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's a lot of noise in Wall Street. Obviously, for for most investors, are taxes going to get cut or not? Right. Really, which um, is where we are right now, right? Yeah. yeah. And the repatriation of some cash sets. Overseas by all these corporations. Yeah, that'd be nice. So those are, the, I think, the focus right now um, in the market is due to uh, the uh, tax uh, changes and uh, repatriation. And then who who is and who is not going to stick around uh, with the administration. 
Um, hopefully, um, the uh, Treasury Secretary sticks around. So the takeaway here is, is, as we looked at the market last week, there was a lot of uh, movement. But I think overall what was interesting is stocks still, stay, still um, continuing to hold on, getting hit hard, and still continuing to show just a, you know, call it uh, a little bit of weakness, but I wouldn't call it an over-impacting um, uh, over uh, uh, situation for the market on what we've seen so far. Looks like economic numbers still look uh, pretty good. Um, I still, yeah. uh, you know, I think we've had this discussion before, but productivity still bugs me. I don't know. Which I one? know Productivity. I know you're productivity. not. Productivity. Well, here's the thing, in my opinion. They just don't measure it right. You know, um, for those of you that are students of GDP, you know, it's a big number. I like to look at it, all that. We need to know what's happening. But there's, a, there's some great new books on GDP. And the fact is there's a lot of fluff in the GDP number. And uh, there's fudge factors and this and that. And I think that, the, you know, th- there's a couple cross-currents in GDP. One is baby boomers are retiring. That's putting pressure on, like, st- making stuff that you can weigh and, and baby boomers, you know, are disproportionately in, uh, in, in, you know, old line jobs where it's physical labor doing something. New workers are more in information systems. It's harder to measure the productivity. So I just think that um, they just have it a little bit wrong, although there is this headwind of baby boomers retiring that is putting a little pressure on productivity. But ultimately, population growth plus productivity is GDP growth. So it's, uh, it's a formula. Which what are you? I mean, what kind of bugs me a little bit is the fact that productivity, when you measure just by the overall product, production, the cost of goods and services, isn't really have much giddy up to it, you know, for the, for the longest time. Well, but what if, for example, everyone uh, is a little happier? It doesn't get into GDP, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> or what if productivity's harmed because... People are choosing, they're getting way more productive because of the internet, like I know I am, with these apps and stuff that can do stuff for you. Maybe but it's people, not monetized productivity. Well, you it's work like, a little less. It's almost like a trivial pursuit. No, but no, I don't know. But look, salaried positions, if you can work two fewer hours a week, get the job done, it's not going to show up in the productivity stats, but you are a happier person. And I know that personally in your case, Otto, that you are. And I know that, but I work twice as yeah, much well, and, and and produce okay. half as much as I used to. <laughs> maybe you're not a good example, but I just think it's not. Some of this stuff's not being captured. It's well, not as precise. Right. Still just, a concerning factor. It for is me. a concern, but I, I think it's just it's just baby boomers are retiring. We should be happy about that for them, right? They've worked a long time. They get to retire. How can that be a negative, right? They've got more leisure time, more time with the grandkids. We got to dial that into GDP somehow. That's all. But okay. But I, I do, I do think there is pressure on the number. I will give you that. Well, um, so in turning to that, you know, uh, looking at the market generally speaking, we kind of caught in a same situation, same as it ever was, as the song goes. Um, seeing uh, more of the growth stocks getting uh, more and more attention. As more people pull out, and this is what's interesting, I read this the other day, the amount of buybacks, corporate buybacks, has gone down significantly. Hmm. Yes. Um, well, the, oh, the, you know, the, the stock market is 
higher valued. Maybe people it shows a little discipline on the part of uh, CFOs not overpaying. Maybe. Yes, but there's some companies if you look at when you say this, even though the stock market is higher valued, there's still a lot of companies trading near the 52 week lows. Hmm. If you look at that, well, maybe, uh, maybe I'll scratch that out. It's actually crazy. Well, we did we did a show on that a few weeks ago. Oh, we did. Yeah, remember fifty two. No, week I don't low. remember. I, couple, I hope it was a we good were show. Overly drinking. <laughs> that's the one where you had that wine you really liked. Oh yeah, that's House right. House of Cards. Yeah, mm-hmm. great wine. Um, so, with that in mind, we're still kind of caught in the rut of looking at these, gro- you know, money kind of chasing growth names, continuing to kind of ponder off that way. Value stocks still kind of sitting on the tarmac with some hopes and uh, call it prospects of getting onto the runway. And uh, looking at this and how, you know, it all is affected by the politics and, you know, all the different cross currents internationally. Um, it all comes down to, I think, a market that is still undecided where it wants to go. So with that in mind, we're kind of in a do – we, do we lose ourselves? Are we still no, on? Oh, okay. we're good. You looked at me like uh, we're, we, were, we were – Well, just because what you're saying is so profound. Oh. That's all. That's why I'm looking at you. Oh. <laughs> so um, we're usually in two separate rooms where we can't see each other no, when we no, do that, this. Maybe that's for the best. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, you know, again, uh, I think – even though we talk about value names, um, we, we I think as an investor, you still need to have one hand on growth and maybe look at companies that have good growth prospects but are at reasonably priced if you can find them. I know that sounds very difficult in this market, but we do try to come up every week with names that we think um, have that capacity. So with that in mind, I wish I had something a little bit more um, concrete on the market. I think, again, we're going to stay in this kind of tight uh, trading range with a focus on some of the larger cap growth names that we've been focused on for a a number of uh, months here. And I don't think that's going to change. And one of the other things I think that um, drives that is is you get money from these uh, uh, liquidations by individual investors or, you know, even – money coming in any way, shape, or form out of the stocks, I think, you know, the ETF market has been growing. So as ETFs get more money, that money in those ETFs is driven towards those more focused names, right? Yeah. I mean, just by definition. Absolutely. So it's almost like self-prophecy. Um, pro- uh, so that's, uh, in essence, uh, I would tell you, we continue to believe small caps um, offer some great opportunity. And uh, that's kind of why we... Uh, you know, come and do this every week. Is it because What's the unfortunately I did large cap this week? Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. So, oh, but okay. Well, I hope, I hope well, that's, that's okay. No, that's fine. That's, that's good. You know, yeah. um, I like to see you break out of that, uh, your, you know, break out of your box a bit. That's good. Well, I've done a lot of lar- uh, small cap shows mm-hmm. over time. Right. But, you know, the thing about small cap is it appeals to such a small audience. Ergo, the name small cap. Small cap. Yeah, right. And I'm going to get back to that, but this yeah. week what I did, again, I just I just had a whim. I do uh-huh. a screen. Yeah. And this week I did a large cap dividend yield screen. Wow, okay. And it just reminds me of a client I had where they didn't really need – you know, small cap value, there's total return, right. right? But not a lot of dividend safety. It's volatile. Some people, the baby boomers who I was mentioning earlier, mm. these retirees, you know right. what? They just want a little safety – They wish they could get a decent yield on their bond, but guess what we can't get in this environment anymore? A decent yield on a bond. And a lot of people that saved up, they were kind of led to believe they could earn 
six percent or i mean remember when we were kids it was eight percent you could get on a bond and now yeah i was a they're yeah, getting two percent when i was 10 years there were, old you were you had a i had a huge bond portfolio you? When well I was a and time. you yeah. got a lot of higher yeah. yield back then <laughs> yeah. and so i just think sometimes people they'd like a little yield that also could grow so one of the things when you have a yield stock is i'm not sure it increases your total return there's not there's some evidence that it might. I don't know if I'd buy that. But what it certainly does is it turns some of your total return to current income and current yield, and some people like that. So that's what I did this week. Um, I ran a little screen. Should I get into it? I think we little? should, yeah. Okay, so I'll go first with my uh, stock idea, and then Otto, uh, he ha- he'll have some ideas. But what I did is I ran a screen. Mm-hmm. As longtime listeners know, I... I do. And what do I like about screens? Well, one, they pass the screen. So if you've got some good criteria, you're left with a bunch of stocks that might be good. Now, do you create your own screen? Do you have? Of course. Of okay, course so you maybe want to share a few of the dynamics? I'm going to go okay. through it right, right now. Um, I didn't mean to jump ahead. Yeah, no, no. That's I've been, I've been trying to share because this is something you could do at Yahoo Finance, uh, which is free. I'm using a product called YCharts. I hope they don't mind me saying that. Uh, it's not free, but it's good. But it's simple. You know, you just want some stocks to look at. So here's what I did this week. First, I started with all stocks uh, that are on U.S. exchanges. That's 14,000 names. Then headquartered in the U.S. Now I got 8,000. Now I want market caps bigger than $5 billion. Now I've just got 800. Now I want a dividend yield greater than 3, and I have 150. I put in 4, and I only had about 19, and they were... Not good ones. So I had to go with three to get any decent universe. Then I wanted debt to equity. Now I lay in some safety. Debt to equity, uh, less than 50%, which in effect means that debt is less than one-third of the total capital since debt plus equity is the capital. And then a debt to capital of less than 33, kind of double counting, but it accounts for, you know, if there's bad data. And I got 19 names that came through there. Or I'm sorry, I put a couple valuation metrics as well. I wanted an enterprise value to EBITDA of less than 20. It's not super, you know, that's not, you know, the giant filter there. And uh, and then that, by just throwing that on, it basically requires profitability. And I got 19 names. A whole bunch of them are, you know, basically uh, energy. There's some... Uh, retail, as we had on the show last week, you know, there's a lot of pressure on retailers from uh, the Amazon threat, but they're still making money and still paying a dividend. But of the 19, I ranked them on yield. The biggest one in the bunch I'm going to go with, and I'm going to talk about it a bit, it's Starwood. Um, what's the whole name here? It's not, it's, there's a companion company that is it a owns re- the property. Yep, it's Starwood um, Property Trust, STWD, and they're paying an eight percent yield, which is a lot. And oh, this when, is this is a, a REIT. Is it's that right? a REIT, okay. REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust. And I was looking through the balance sheet because if you're getting an eight percent yield, you want to make sure they can keep paying it. And basically, I was adding up all the assets and. Um, it was, you know, a billion, a billion, a billion. Then all of a sudden, fifty-four billion for total assets is sixty-four billion. 
And there's this thing on the balance sheet of a REIT called the uh, variable interest entity, VIE, which is another Wall Street acronym, or WSA. And what uh, variable interest entity is, is it's basically the assumed value of the principal and interest that is required to be paid from the collateral, which is all the companies that are owned by an affiliate, which is called Starwood Capital. These guys are basically pass-throughs for the interest and principal from the properties on the one end. They take their fee for managing all this, and then they pay out the, to the mortgage holders on the other end. There's $60 billion in property here in value. The quarterly dividend is $125 million. All the balance sheet ratios are decent. Um, they've got a lot of collateral here. And the payout, as you might expect, I think it's required to be over 95% in a REIT. In this case, it is just right about 100% that they pay out of the cash flow. And let me tell you some of those numbers. Um, let's see. Bear with me here one second. On this one, the... As a stock, it's also not too expensive. Enterprise value to EBIT is 10 times, which is a 10% cash-on-cash yield, of which 8% they're giving it to you as the dividend. So they're almost paying out 80%, 90% of the total economics are coming to, um, th through the uh, interest on the loans to the, uh, to the property uh, behind the, uh, at the affiliate. So that's a pretty secure cash flow. Um, the bankruptcy risk here is um, is low, assuming that the collateral is fairly valued. So you got to assume that the accountants are getting it right when they look at the cash flows. But it's quite an interesting economic entity. They're in effect paying out all the cash flow every year. They're paying out what looks like about um, less than two percent of the underlying value of the property is coming out as a dividend. That's 100% of the cash flow of this entity, and that represents roughly their fee. So my first pick is a real estate investment trust, STWD, 8% yield, good collateral, um, decent balance sheet for a REIT, and I'm going to go with that one. What kind of properties do they own? Well, it's Starwood, so it's a lot of hotels okay. and resorts. Um, let's see here. Uh, I took a few notes, which I don't usually do, um, but let's see here. The company, I'm going to just read from their site. Um, the company's core business is on originating, acquiring, financing, and managing commercial mortgage loans and other real estate debt investments in conjunction with Starwood Capital, which is the company that... Uh, owns a lot of um, not only hotels, but also some residential properties under that brand. So okay. it's a lot of um, you know, housing, basically. Multifamily housing. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and hotels. And so um, it looks like, and it looks like the, uh, the, I mean, the key on this is the dividend looks pretty safe. So 8% yield. I think in a portfolio geared toward yield, you just got to sprinkle a little of this in, auto. Because um, it's too high to ignore. That's all.
That's so, a great idea. Starwood. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, uh, moving on, uh, we're looking at back, we're going to go back to small caps. Okay. What was the market cap on that, by the way? Do you mean? Uh, let's see. That's such a good question. Uh, that is um, six billion. Stocks six trading billion. Where? The stock is trading at uh, a price that I don't know. Oh, here it is. Twenty. Why am I? Oh my. Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Twenty-two dollars. Twenty-two cents. Oh, that's a sign. And that means yeah, it's like twice eleven eleven. Uh huh. Right. And that means buy. So right. this yes, probably right. means double weight buy. Yeah. So okay. there you have it. Um, well, going uh, – w- uh, did you say the market cap was in that? What was it? $6 billion. $6 billion. Okay. Yeah. We're going to go down the ladder a little bit. This is a smaller company, about $1.3 billion. SAIA, which is S-A-I-A Incorporated. Uh, the company is a uh, Freight Lines LTL, which in uh, vernacular, less than truckload. Less than truckload. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so these are basically short-haul carriers. Um, everything they do is less than three days. So this is get in the truck and deliver less than three days. Um, they are historically uh, in the southeast, have uh, been providing a growth platform to move them into the northeast, which is giving them a ability to leverage uh, their existing customer base of um, the southeast to gather them some uh, deliveries into the northeast and vice versa. So the bottom line is uh, they operate in 34 states. Um, uh, they have about, you know, a like I said, a northeast uh, newly uh, structured arena, which uh, they need to fill. So they, they've embarked on that. So the, the story here is this is a growth story. Um, the company's uh, revenues uh, run about one, call it 1.3 to 1.4 billion. Um, earnings for 17 is estimated at 222. That's up from, I'm sorry, 225, um, up from 187 from last year. So that's a 23 multiple, but it's, we have them at 270 on the uh, consensus estimates for next year, which puts them at a 19 multiple with a very good growth rate. Um, EBITDA um, runs at about one hundred and eighty, about one hundred and eighty-three million, um, and that again versus a one hundred and eighty. Um, I'm sorry, a one point three billion market cap. Um, the takeaway here is, is as they've embarked on moving into the Northeast, this is going to give them significant leverage to continue to not only create more organic growth in their existing uh, markets, but then also capture um, customers in this uh, newfound area. And why, and why should they? It's because if you look at the logistical platform and their ability to deliver and in, in, uh, in the efficiency that, and the pricing that they deliver to their customers, uh, they make a very good argument for utilizing their services versus their peers. So I would tell you to take a look at this name. It's on a PE basis is under 20 times for next year. ROE sits around 11. Net debt is around 22%. And the company's uh, trading near its high end of the range. And, uh, you know, usually people, you know, we try to look at things that are broken. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think, as these markets we're in right now, um, buying broken storage, you got to be really careful and make sure. It's not, not I would say, um, uncharacteristically um, not being from the value bent that we sit in. 
to look at some of these names, which even though they're trading at the higher end, I think their 52-week high is around 58. Stock trades around 52. So it is uh, up near, but the performance of this company has been outstanding, and they continue to deliver. And I think sometimes you have to go with winners that have a uh, decently priced stock, has a historical um, uh, perspective of uh, of giving those numbers to shareholders and uh, growing the overall uh, platform for their company. So uh, book tangible book value is around 20. So it trades around, what, 2, 2.5 times book. Um, so, uh, you know, I would tell you that take a look at this name. This is a name in, in the truckload arena. Uh, I'm sorry, the less than truckload arena that um, I think with the growth platforms of the Northeast, the continued uh, operating leverage of getting into some of their call um, lower uh, yielding um, um, uh, um, areas in the southeast to uh, you know they're they're effectively moving that network into becoming more efficient. Um, th- these this combination I think will lead to a great one-two punch. So with that in mind, um, recommending purchase of Saia uh, S A I A. Um, on the NASDAQ, and uh, that's pretty much it. i just add, I'm just eating a pretzel, but um, I would add, just looking at some of these numbers, this company has really been doing well. They, they're near a peak margin. They've been paying off debt. Their debt to capital is down. I mean, you're saying it's expen- you know, it's at a high, but it's eight times EBITDA and just a little over one time sales, so even a value guy can appreciate that. The return on assets here. I mean, this is a truckload care. I mean, they have trucks. It's 6%, which they can leverage the return on equity. Uh, I'm not seeing it here. It's but 11 it's, times, yeah, I think. Right 11%, 11 or something like that. Yeah. So they're doing a really nice job <clears throat> in a commodity business. The revenues are at a, looks like, all-time high last quarter. And uh, and I see them, as I may have already said, they're paying off debt, growing the book value very nicely. So it looks like looks like a nice pick. Okay. Well, there we go. Okay. Now what are we doing? Is it my turn? Okay. <clears throat> so back to my uh, yield screen. And I just want to say I was trying to do as little work as possible. So I uh, I was just going to go right in order. I'm like, okay, Starwood, bang, number one. Number two, Mosaic, bang. But then, I don't know, out of my conscience took over, whatever. I started looking at the balance sheet of number two, Mosaic, and – Oh, my God, it's nearly a 5% yield, but when you start digging into it, it's really going off the rails. It's losing money. They're rapidly gaining debt. The debt to EBITDA now is... Uh, what do they do? It's a, a fertilizer company, so the pricing is whipping them wow, around. Okay. And, um, and so um, it's, it's been very volatile. And in a dividend portfolio, I mean, one of the things you want is safety. You're trying to beat a bond portfolio. One of the things you need to avoid is stocks that go bankrupt. So Mosaic didn't get through. And then I started having to do a little more work than I was expecting. But one of the ones that came up right after Mosaic, a couple down. Then I had a couple retailers I don't necessarily believe in. So then I came to a stock we all have heard about, Chevron, ticker CVX. And I was really excited to find it because um, first I thought it was CVS. I'm like, wow, that's great, a drugstore. But no, it's not. It's Chevron. They're paying $2 billion a quarter in, in a dividend. They're generating nearly 
4 to $5 billion a quarter in operations. So this dividend is really well covered, even though if you look at a payout ratio right now, it looks like it's over 100%. Well, because it is. And that's net income, you know, dividend divided by net income. So right now the dividend is higher than net income. That undoubtedly has some people a little nervous. But here's what I would say. Net income last quarter was $1.5 billion. Depreciation, which is an expense, was $5.3 billion. It's not really cash going out the door. So if I add net income and depreciation, I get $6.8 billion. And these guys are paying out two in a dividend. I think it's pretty covered. And if you're Chevron, I mean, you don't want to cut a dividend. How embarrassing, right? So, I mean, I think Chevron is a military, uh, you know, like a, a battle medal, right, a Chevron? You can't be cutting dividends if your mascot mm. is a military award. Just That'd be like losing a battle. And I think they feel that way because they're being very careful about not cutting the dividend. And it's giving you a 4% yield. The balance sheet here is in great shape. The coverage is in great shape. The debt to EBITDA is in great shape. And we're going through a period of, you know, not low oil prices historically, but down from that 100 that everyone kind of got fixated on. And now we're sitting around where, 46? Still a good number. So I like Chevron. I like the yield. 4%. Plus, it's not that expensive as a stock. It's 10 times EBITDA. And, uh, you know, that's, I'd say, a 10% cash on cash return. And then you're going to get a little bit of growth. Probably GDP or maybe a little bit less if, uh, you know, we continue to, you know, slowly move off fossil fuels. So Chevron, CVX, 3.99% yield. That's my pick number two, Otto. Well, I'm looking at the chart here, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it kind of came in at 17, around 120. Stock train 108. Am I reading that right? Chevron? Yeah. Uh, that stock is 108. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And uh, let's see if I could tell you the market cap. It's just, I mean, I'll, it's big. Oh, yeah. Oh, here it's it is. Big. $205 billion. Okay. That's big. And then one of the things, too, with these energy companies, uh, capital expenditures are always a big part of their business. I mean, CapEx is always well, a major driver. So I gave out the uh, net income, $1.5 billion, mm-hmm. depreciation of $5.3 billion, so I have $6.8 billion. Excuse me, I'm just eating a pretzel. So $6.8 billion, <clears throat> now you're correct. I'm going to subtract CapEx, which was $3.2 billion. So that gets me to $3.6 billion positive cash. Subtract the uh, dividend, $2 billion. I'm still at $1.6 billion positive cash. And they, I believe, have been paying down debt. I think I saw that. Let me look here, which is impressive as hell. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they have. Chevron... During this period of supposedly low, you know, oil prices, is paying down debt. They had, uh, let's see, looking at the balance sheet, two years ago in 2015, they had total liabilities 
of 113 billion now they're at 108 so they paid down 5 billion in total liabilities but even more specific and that's well let's see their long term debt i can find that uh, has gone well it's down 5 billion in the last 6 quarters and short term debt has gone up 3 billion so they're they're their net debt is down a couple of billion over the last year, and total liabilities, which includes working capital, of course, but that's down uh, five billion. So <clears throat> the company is managing their cash flow real well in here. Well, uh, I'm looking at the historics on the dividend, and it seems that I'm going back um, back and. Let's see, thirteen. It was a uh, dollar. They bumped it up in fourteen. Uh, they kept it at a dollar seven through fifteen. Uh, sixteen uh, through a dollar seven. Dollar eight. It went up in sixteen to a dollar eight, which is where it sits today. So, in the over the last, um, unfortunately, this only goes back. I think you're thirteen, and in a very tumultuous oil environment, they've kept their dividend. You know, very much intact over that. You know, yeah, five pe- five year period. Well, they're gentlemen period. So yeah, gentlemen, I like that. Okay, great stuff. Um, moving on, uh, looking at one of the. You know, I, I, I'm a trend guy. I love trends. Yeah. I think you know, mar- making money in stocks is developed around trends. I, I just am a trend guy. Yeah. Well, you've done well with that. Yeah. And. One of the trends, and we talked about this uh, a few times, is the way money is managed and the way individual investors seek out uh, advice, how they get that advice, and um, who it's delivered from, and whether it's a bulge bracket firm or somebody who owns a family office. And we're seeing the family office grow. And one of the reasons uh, we're seeing family offices grow and independent advisory grow is technology. Because it used to be that the bulge bracket firms had the budget to invest in technology that was sophisticated enough to provide different um, opportunities for advisors to cater to their customers. Well, now we fast forward, uh, we see um, smaller competitors are able to compete against the bulge brackets. So many, and keep in mind, many of the bulge bracket advisors are moving on to their own firms. And even with staying within their firms, they're going with other firms that may be smaller than the bulge bracket. Point being is this, is that as technology is ramped up, uh, there's an interesting little company that I I found that I think has great long-term trend dynamics. Um, The name of the company is called InvestNet. ENV is a symbol. Trades on the New York uh, market cap's one point nine billion. Um, it uh, has a book value of around ten bucks. Um, again, this is more of a technology company. So from that standpoint, or a software company, that's a, I think pretty attractive. Twelve percent uh, ROE, about a forty percent uh, long term debt to capital. Um, if you look on an earnings basis, um, the uh, sixteen they closed out at roughly a buck. They're about a buck thirty uh, this year, and next year should be uh, touching the door of between, we'll call it one fifty five and one sixty five. Um, so you know, as that continues, one might look and say, "Well, wow, that's still a twenty plus percent 
PE ratio. And that's non-GAAP. I'm going to even point that out. Um, GAAP EPS is 67 cent, or 65 cents for next year. And uh, dollar five for 2019, and just moving out of um, into cash flow break e- or uh, e- uh, EPS break even. Revenues are running around 670 million for this year. Seven seven, call it 60 to 780 for next year, uh, and um, I think you can add about another 100 million after that. Operating margins are in the high uh, teens, and uh, if you look at EBITDA, they run an EBITDA for this year should be about 130 million. So if you look at that, I still I, I look and I say, well, okay, what is it about this company that I think offers? And I don't know if I mentioned debt, 39 percent. But um, with that backdrop on the financials, on the trend line, this is a company which offers integrated um, management and reporting solutions to financial advisors and institutions. Um, They have a host of data warehousing that is utilized in providing everything from the, um, the front to the back to the, you know, the um, uh, call it middle uh, office functions uh, for advisors. And this kind of leads into uh, kind of, in a manner of speaking, using data to create an AI functionality that allows data and allows the grabbing of this data to better provide solutions for the customers in a much more cost-effective approach. And with, um, I think, um, call it... Uh, advisors that are continuing to move to more of a fee-based structure from a commission-based structure. And these are all trends which, from a number of reasons, whether it's the Department of Labor's fiduciary rule that's been uh, talked about to a number of considerations just because of open market competition, that many advisors are moving to a fee-based structure. And this company sits smack dab in the middle of that trend. And providing the ability to collect data in a number of ways and then offer these solutions to their advisors and also in a number of other ways to deliver to the customer to give them better solutions to make um, financial decisions. And so with that in mind, you know, this is a company that I think it sits and they just made a very interesting acquisition that was considered um, call it expensive and non-delivering, um, a company called Yodley. And uh, they, there are, I think, some opportunities to cross-sell this um, with uh, a number of their customers. And they have, you know, they even have, you know, major broker-dealers as customers so and major institutions as customers, big names that you would know oh, yeah. of They're big. That, that, that they have. I don't know if uh, you've come across these guys. Well, sure. I mean, you're exactly right what you're saying. These guys have developed a platform <clears throat> that every RIA wants to be on. If you think of the old model, it was stockbrokers buying stocks through their trading desk. The new model is financial advisors buying ETFs. And where do you buy them? You know, you didn't mention it, but at the core of these guys, they are information, but they also have a broker-dealer. So they can use information to set up ETFs or um, baskets of ETFs that fill a certain, um, you know, client's 
um, need for asset allocation, uh, customized to their own individual financial situation, and the financial advisor can take a bunch of stuff on InvestNet's platform. They have all the tools to do the asset allocation, to take a deep dive, and then they have you know, different managers on there to fulfill whatever it is the asset class or asset allocation would, uh, would require. So they've gained a lot of share. I think they've made a couple of big acquisitions that are helping them to consolidate that, that area. And I got to agree with you that these guys look like uh, they're going to get a lot bigger. Now, having said that, and, you know, listeners know probably I'm a value investor, this thing is not cheap. It's, uh, I'm just, I had to turn off the page. It was four, it's four times sales. It's something like uh, 30 times EBITDA. And so, you know, that's not to say it can't be a good stock, but it would be a good stock the way Walmart was always too expensive to buy while it tripled. This could be one of those where it's not so much the valuation on the current business, it's the fact that there's a giant market share shift going on from wirehouses selling stocks through brokers to RIAs selling ETFs through financial advisors, and these guys are smack in the middle of that. So that it, it probably is a – I couldn't buy it as a value investor, but I'll bet this is one of those that is a pretty good idea, Otto. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, although, you know, we do try to, you know, retain some value, I just think certain times, you know, looking at – especially in this type of market, you know, trend investing and things that, you know, lead changes in the marketplace tend to – continue to do well as stocks. Well, it's cheap on the future earnings that you would see if they continue to grow, right? wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would. And uh, although in today's, you know, like you mentioned, metrics, it does offer a little bit of a, a hard pill to swallow. But to me, like you mentioned, there's smack dab in the middle of the yeah. trend changes going on in the marketplace. In fact, we have a little small cap product. we got to try to get on the InvestNet platform. It's just a requirement for any investment strategy that wants to be available in the institutional market increasingly you got it for example um well i don't want to mention any names but i do know that there are brokerage firms that had been using internal manager research departments to choose the types of active strategies that their brokers could use and a bunch of them are just saying you know forget about it let's just subscribe to um invest net they do a good job and then they can just well, and then they can move that whole responsibility off of, off their own uh, yeah. book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it. Okay, great. Well, that's that kind of speaks to my two ideas. All right, I got one more. Okay, I'm getting very sleepy. So, how much, uh, where are we on the clock? Uh, we got to be doing pretty good. We kind of been, I thought forty two we minutes. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, we're doing pretty good. But I'm getting a little sleepy, and you so, just woke up. I don't know. I was napping earlier. But we appreciate listeners listening in. We're just trying to give you a couple of great ideas here, or medium, I guess. They're probably medium ideas. My last one off this same yield screen that I mentioned earlier, um, stocks greater than 3% yield. They have less than 33% uh, debt to capital. They're less than 20 times enterprise value to EBITDA. I mean, these aren't meant to be great values. They're meant to be... Um, safe dividends. So I just I threw a little baby valuation in there. But the main uh, element of the screen is yields above three 
and balance sheets that are good, interest coverage that's good, uh, the types of things that can give you some confidence in the sustainability of the dividend. So when I was looking at this big uh, screen, as I mentioned, a lot of energy companies, a handful of uh, retailers, which, you know, doesn't seem great. And then I came across a little name close to my heart called Genuine Parts. And longtime listeners of the show might have listened to a show recommending this. I have recommended it over time. Genuine Parts, years ago used to sell auto parts to a lot of, of the Napa dealers. And then they started offering up accounting. And then all these Napa dealers started using the accounting. And then Genuine Parts said, came around later and said, look, we'd like to buy you. But if they said no, they would turn off the accounting system. So guess what? Everybody said yes. It was brilliant. And that's how they came to own the Napa auto chain. So they're one of the largest sellers of auto parts in the country. It's a very stable business. The age of autos has continued to rise, and despite the fact we've had a big surge in new auto sales the last couple of years, that's starting to get peaky. Um, but the age of autos is still toward record highs, and it could be that cars are just being made better. But the history of this company, they had one down year in the last 10 years. That was 09. Of course, that was a terrible year for the economy. And that had to just be inventories at their customers were unwinding because of the issues around credit for everyone in the economy back then. And so my suspicion is that business was down, not because end uh, purchases of auto parts was down, but just because all the auto dealers, auto parts dealers and repair shops all lowered their inventory, which would affect the sales of genuine parts, which is selling to those types of customers, as well as institutional customers. But for the purpose of this screen and this conversation, we're really looking at the yield here on Genuine Parts, which is 3.2%. They've got, it's a 12 billion market cap company. They've got debt to capital of 25%. Um, they've got a debt to assets of just 11%, and then Financial debt to EBITDA on this one is 80.81, which means financial debt is less than one-year EBITDA, which is very strong financials. Um, over the last 12 months, um, which is a metric I look at, the change in debt as a percent of assets is up just a couple percent, which in a good year could just be accounted for by growth in the business. Um, so on the surface, genuine parts looks pretty good from a safety point of view. The payout ratio here is pretty good. It's 50, it's in the 50s, 58%. Gives them a bit of a cushion, but paying out that much for a company that's growing slowly, it's a way to uh, make sure you can keep your return on capital, your return on equity in decent shape. Because when you pay dividends, that comes as a deduction to equity, in effect. Earnings minus the dividend is what equity grows by each year. And so when you see a company paying out a big dividend, and yet they still have a high return on equity, a high return on capital, I mean, basically that's telling you that the management is, um, they know how to manage the company. They're at the sweet spot between 
rewarding you, the shareholder, or us, me, and, uh, and yet maintaining the uh, profitability and therefore the value of the company itself in a sale. Because ultimately, a shareholder, yeah, you're going to get dividends, but the big payoff at some point is a sale of the company at a big premium. So it's good to keep the company healthy while you're paying a dividend, and that's what these guys are doing. Um, bankruptcy risk here is nil. The Altman score, which I like, is over four. Enterprise value to EBITDA here, 11 times. That's a 9% cash-on-cash return. And so uh, there's a little bit of growth here. They've grown 50% over the last nine years, so you know roughly 5% a year. So 10% cash-on-cash plus 5%, that gives me a 15% rough total return, of which 3%. 3.2% of it anyway is in the form of a dividend. So um, I'm really, I don't, I don't want to overanalyze this thing or bore the listener with all the details. But this is a great old line company, great returns. They manage well, low-cost producer, low-cost distributor, and they've got a 3.2% dividend. I think that's worth, uh, you know, sort of moving into a little bit, Otto. So that's it, genuine parts. Well, and you know we've seen uh, a lot of um, sell-off in the other auto parts companies too. Um, I think one of the things it was Amazon. What do you call it? Am- Amazonified? What do you? What do you? Your term? Amazonified? Yeah, Amazonified. Amazonified. Because yeah. auto parts were. I mean, if you you know if you looked at uh, Advanced Auto, for example, yeah, the market's and, worried about that. And. Um, you know, some of these other auto uh, companies, it, uh, you know, O'Reilly and some of the others were smoked based upon concerns that Amazon was going to get into the auto. Uh, but um, Napa provides to the, um, the uh, um, auto repair, uh, right, uh, mm-hmm. auto repair yeah. uh, facilities, probably dealerships is my guess, right? Yeah. That you know, you like somewhere. Whereas um, one of the concerns, and so this is a really interesting area because, like you mentioned before, um, there it's a consistently solid business uh, outside if there's a strong uh, economic downturn. And this is a case where, as the Amazonified issue has spread, um, I guess to say, in a uh, uh, pandemic way through the mm. market, okay? Yes. Um, that uh, it is probably one area that investors would be worthwhile looking into that I think uh, it's an overstated impact by Amazon. Well, one of the things I said a few weeks ago, I'm just thinking about it, is that Amazon is selling a lot of stuff really well. It's a great, great company, and people have heard me talk about that. But they're selling stuff that people already know how to work already know how to use, you know, there's not a lot of teaching going in, you know, into the sale or education. I mean, there are reviews and things like that. But companies like Genuine Parts or some of the industrial distributors we talked about that are being hurt in the market because of the fear of Amazon, Amazon cannot bring some of the things that these companies bring to their clients. Not only information about how to apply the product, but also inventory and receivables that um, are certainly receivables. I mean, Amazon doesn't particularly loan you money for your 
for your inventory of stuff from them, or you know maybe they'll get into that. But that's an important element of what a distributor brings, and also confidence in inventory. So, you know, I don't know how much inventory Amazon is planning to carry in auto parts, but if you add up how many car models that have been over the last 50 years, um, and how many parts are associated with that. You know, Amazon may not even have the number of SKUs in their entire distribution system to cover all the parts that Genuine Parts is inventorying for clients. So I think it's it's not as easy as uh, the market seems to think, and that's why I'm dipping into this one. I think it's a safe bet, uh, just like I talked about those industrial distributors a few weeks ago. Um one of the things I want to just bring up is um, a couple of weeks ago we talked about some ideas, and one of the ideas I threw on the table was a company called Telligent, which is oh, a yeah. uh, generic drug company uh, that uh, kind of mostly in the, the topicals has a, uh, just put together an injectable plant. But it's mostly like your, your basic, uh, um, you know, different types of uh, anti-infection type of skin products that they they offer so it's it's these are not you know cancer drugs or anything like that these are you know stuff for psoriasis and things of that nature so the the, the point being is is that the whole generic uh, industry has been just taken out to the woodshed and uh, just put in the uninvestable class by the market um, over the recent um, downtrend in pricing structure among the generics um, and we can go on, probably need a whole show on that. But for the most part, um, generic pricing has been under tremendous pressure across the board. We've seen it with Mylan. We've seen it with Teva, um, some other names. But the takeaway here is Telligent uh, was taken and brought down to under $7. And I think it was – I can't remember the price. Can you, I don't know if we can pull it up when I recommended it. Do we have that on? Do we what have are we looking for? Telligent's price and when we set it on the show. Oh, that we sat on the show. Yeah, remember we were on the show. Uh, I'm going to guess around eight bucks. Stock six and a half. Okay, oh, so really? yeah, so definitely down a little bit. Down, yeah. I would tell people don't lose faith. I mean, these are cycles, and this has been a long in the tooth cycle on drug price pressuring. Okay, so um, at six and a half bucks. Can I ring the bell twice on a stock? You get, of you course. probably get one, right? No. You, get, you get the mulligan off the tee, but you get. I think you should get. You know, if you bet, you know, it's you hard get. to pick the low. So I mean, once you know the value of a stock, if it goes down, you know, I think you can certainly. Yeah, re- I'm going to revisit this one. Yeah. I'm going to say, you know what, from six and you know, call it six sixty. I think it is. I think it's an outright bargain. So um, as value guys go, um, you really want to take a look at this. They've thrown out. Um, every generic drug to the street and mark them uninvestable, which usually turns out to be at least something to look at. But these guys have 34 drugs sitting in the ANDA uh, waiting for approval, and these drugs will get approved. The FDA has been on an accelerated platform to approve drugs, and one of the reasons we've seen uh, some of these major drugs become pressured is because the focus on approving drugs in uh, just certain areas has been very intense. So, and they've approved those drugs in a very rapid pace, and that's putting pricing pressure on. So, with that in mind, um, I think that you know we'll get through this. 
I know this is a tough time, but uh, and I just wanted to stand up, and say I get it. I know that I was I was early on this. I'm sure, and that's the problem with being value. You know, right? You you look at these stocks and you think you have a good opportunity, and uh, the trend just goes on longer and harder than you think it. You know, it goes, and it it works on both sides. It goes up farther and longer than you think, and it goes down longer and harder than you think. So with that in mind, I just want to revisit, you know, intelligent stock traded down from our initial uh, uh, commentary down to 660. So I'm telling investors, you know, this is a name definitely take a look at down here if you didn't take an opportunity back then. Okay. Well, uh, it's 56 minutes into the show. Perfect timing. I didn't really do any homework on the economy, so I'll bring that back. But my summary will be economy in good shape lots of stuff looks good and you know interestingly consumers are borrowing money for the first time in a decade and we hate to think so but that sometimes is good for the economy people start spending showing a little more confidence taking on debt Uh, we have manufacturing that looks like it's ticking up a little bit inventories are in good shape interest rates are in good shape um, employment's full out. You know, I just think there's a lot of stuff going on that the invisible hand, a lot of capital, a lot of in- smart people, uh, it feels like the economy is going to stay good for a while, Otto. And, um, and so I'm enthusiastic about where we're at. But I didn't do any homework other than that's all anecdotal. But um, three good ideas this week from Val. We had genuine parts. We had Chevron, and for Phil, my favorite is probably Chevron. I think that dividend is pretty safe. And, uh, and then Starwood, uh, I also had as my, uh, one of my picks, uh, Otto. All right. So you had a couple? I had an InvestNet, right? Yeah. The uh, data company, and Saya, the uh, lo- lo- less than truckload co- uh, company. Okay. Well, that's the show this week. Thanks for listening in, everybody. See you next week. Thank you.